Today's podcast is brought to you by newspapers.com, the ultimate destination for exploring the mysteries of the past. If you're fascinated by true crime, get ready to dive into the stories that made headlines. Newspapers.com offers a billion pages of historical newspapers from the U.S. and beyond, and you can search the entire collection in seconds. Their vast newspaper collection is a goldmine for eyewitness accounts, crime scene photos, news reports, and more. Whether you're interested in famous crimes or long-forgotten cases, Newspapers.com gives you a front-row seat to more than 300 years of history. For our listeners, Newspapers.com has a special offer. Use the code CUPOFMURDER for an exclusive 20% discount on your subscription. That's promo code CUPOFMURDER at Newspapers.com. Sign up today and start unraveling the true crime mysteries that keep you up at night. Sometimes going to the grocery store can be chaotic. There doesn't seem to be enough time to check the list, make sure everything is there, search for the best prices, and take the time to make sure you get the best quality meat. So let ButcherBox help you out. Giving you peace of mind, ButcherBox delivers high-quality meat and seafood that you can trust straight to your door. No grocery carts required. Humanely raised, no antibiotics or hormones, 100% grass-fed, free-range, and crate-free, What? more can you ask for? What about free shipping, customized box plans, exclusive member deals, recipe inspirations, tips, and tricks? You really can't go wrong with ButcherBox. Sign up at butcherbox.com slash morning cup and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breasts, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash morning cup and use code morning cup to choose your free for a year offer plus get $20 off your first order. There were two more murders 15 miles when away. Arrived, the they found the telephone and electricity line. Weird described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird religion. Morning. Cup of murder. Up until the mid-1990s, hitchhiking was viewed as a safe and adventurous way to see the world. Until the bodies of missing hitchhikers started turning up murdered on September 19, 1992, in New South Wales, Australia. So, if you like your coffee hot, but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. In the early 1990s, in a world fascinated by travel, police in Australia started noticing a string of hitchhikers that seemed to disappear off the face of the planet. There was the young Victorian couple, Deborah Everest and James Gibson, both 19, who went missing after leaving Sydney for Confest on December 30, 1989, and Simone Schmidl, 21, from Germany, who had not been seen since January 20th of 1991. There was German couple Gabor Neugbauer, 21, and Anya Habschild, 22, who left their King's Cross hostel on December 26th, 1991, and were never seen again, and British backpackers Caroline Clark, 21, and Joanne Walters, 22, who were last seen in the same area on April 18, 1992. No one seemed to know where these kids were, and police had spent time investigating each disappearance that had come up empty-handed. That was until, on September 19, 1992, when two runners in Belanglo State Forest stumbled upon something awful, a decomposing body. The police were called, and the following morning, a second one was found, just 98 feet away. 
With the help of dental records, police identified the bodies as Caroline Clark and Joanne Walters, the British backpackers who had been missing for just over five months. Joanne had been stabbed 14 times total, four in the chest, once in the neck, and nine times in a spot in her back. Caroline, on the other hand, had been shot 10 times in the head in what police surmised was a target practice. Then, in October of 1993, a local man searching for firewood found several bones in the forest and called police. This led to the discovery of two bodies, that of James Gibson and Deborah Everest, who left Sydney in January of 1991 and were never seen again. James's skeleton was found in the fetal position, stabbed about eight times with a slice through his upper spine that would have caused paralysis. Deborah had been severely beaten. Her skull fractured in two places and her jaw broken. Her forehead showed signs of knife wounds and there was a singular stab to her back. Now, the strange thing about their discovery was that just the day after they went missing, police found James's camera and a little over a year later, his backpack. Neither were anywhere near where his body was now being found. But before they could nail down any more information, on November 1st, 1993, a skeleton was found in a clearing along a fire trail during a sweep of the forest. This was the body of Simone Schmidl, who had been missing since January of 1991. She had been stabbed at least eight times, one severing her spine and the others puncturing her heart and lungs. Alongside her body were items of clothing. But upon further investigation, these pieces were not what Simone had been wearing when she went missing. In fact, these pieces belonged to Anya Habshield and Gabor Neugbauer, who went missing about a month after Simone did. Their bodies were found three days later in a shallow grave about 160 feet apart. Anya had been decapitated, her skull never found, and Gabor was shot to death. Each of the victims found in Belanglo State Forest died a horrific death, and in some cases, there was evidence that they did not die instantly from their injuries. By October of 1993, a task force of more than 20 detectives had assembled to find who was responsible for what was being called the Batpacker Murders. A hefty award was offered and public warnings were given to avoid hitchhiking, especially along Hume Highway, and for international backpackers to be on high alert. A profile was created and investigators began the colossal task of dwindling down a list of suspects. They believed, due to the location of the bodies, that the killer must be a local driving a four-wheel drive and matched owners of this particular vehicle with those who were registered owners of a 22 caliber firearm, the weapon used on the shooting victims. The list went down to 230 and then down to 32 as police got closer and closer to finding their man. Then, on November 13, 1993, they got a call that broke open the entire case. A man named Paul Onions called and said that in January of 1990, while backpacking through Australia, he accepted a ride from a man named Bill. The ride seemed to go smoothly until they were a little less than a mile away from Belanglo State Forest. That's when Bill pulled over, grabbed a revolver and some rope, and claimed that this was a robbery. Paul was able to escape from the car, at which point Bill began shooting at him. He flagged down a passing motorist, and together, the two were able to describe the vehicle to police. Police were able to track down a note regarding this initial report in April of 1994, but for whatever reason, the report itself was missing. 
Luckily, a constable had recorded the details in her notebook and was able to recall all of the details. With the help of Paul, the motorist who picked him up, the constable who remembered the details, and the girlfriend of a co-worker, police turned up the name Ivan Malat, and his home was placed under surveillance. They learned he sold his four-wheel drive shortly after the second set of bodies were discovered and had not been working at his job on the days of the attack. Not just that, but acquaintances claimed he was obsessed with weaponry. Paul Onions was flown back to Australia to help with the investigation, and on March 5, 1994, he made a positive identification, and Ivan was arrested 17 days later. So, who was Ivan Malat? Ivan, born on December 27, 1944, began displaying antisocial behavior at a young age and was sent to a boarding school when he was just 13 years old to try and straighten him out. By 17, he was sent to a juvenile detention center for theft and by 19, was involved in a break-in. In 1964, he served 18 months and just a month after his release, stole a car and was sent for two years of hard labor. Basically, from then on, he fluctuated in and out of various terms in prison, even faking his own suicide to avoid jail time. One of those charges were for abducting two 18-year-old hitchhikers and raping one of them in 1971. Sound familiar? When he was arrested in 1994, it was originally just for the attack on Paul Onions, but police used it as an opportunity to swarm his home to find any evidence connecting him to the Batpacker murders. They found not just a small armory of weapons, but foreign currency, clothing, a tent, sleeping bag, camping equipment, and cameras all belonging to the victims. There was no doubt Ivan was their man. By May 31st, these seven backpacker murders were added to Ivan's existing charges. His trial began on March 26, 1996, after 18 weeks of hearing 145 witness testimonies, including Ivan himself, a jury found him guilty and he was sentenced to seven life sentences on top of 18 years for the attempted murder, false imprisonment, and robbery of Paul Onions. Police maintained that not only could Ivan be involved in a number of other murders, but that he potentially had an accomplice. On his deathbed, the Malat's family lawyer claimed he may have been assisted by his own sister. In 2001, he was ordered to give evidence at an inquest into a number of other murders, as well as a cold case from 1994. This happened again in 2003 in relation to the disappearance of two nurses, and again in 2005 for another hitchhiker, but no new charges were ever made. Ivan spent the rest of his life going to great lengths to get an appeal. In 2009, he cut off his little finger with a plastic knife with the intention of mailing it to the High Court of Australia. And in 2011, he went on a nine-day hunger strike in an unsuccessful attempt to get a PlayStation. On October 27, 2019, Ivan Malat, at 74 years old, lost his battle with esophageal and stomach cancer. And just before his death, expressed in a letter that he wanted the New South Wales government to pay for his funeral. Instead, he was cremated using the money from his own prison account. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear what terrible thing happened on September 20th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe.
Thank you for listening to Morning Cup of Murder. This is a daily podcast that tells you what happened on this day in true crime history. In short, easy to listen to episodes that you can finish on your commute or while you enjoy your morning coffee. So make sure you check back every morning. My name is Karina. I am the creator and host. You can find Morning Cup of Murder on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. I have also set up a Patreon where you can donate a small monthly contribution to the podcast. All those links are in the episode description. Thank you again and have a wonderful day.